you can see that most, if not all of the things in your personal life, you imagined them at some point in some, even in some like embryo stage, you imagined them. And now eventually after months, years, decades of action, you bring them around. Hey there, so in today's video, we're going to talk about the Pygmalion effect. And this is just another name for what we all know as the self-fulfilling prophecy. And in essence, we're going to go into a lot more detail about this in this video, but in essence, the Pygmalion effect tells us that we condition and shape the events in our lives by our thoughts and beliefs. And to get an idea of what the Pygmalion effect is, we're going to look just quickly at the background to it. It's quite instructive. So where does the Pygmalion effect come from? It actually comes from Greek mythology. So <laughs> according to the myth, Pygmalion was a sculptor who fell in love with his statue of a beautiful woman. And so fervent was his love that he decided he wanted, wanted her to become a real woman. So what he did, he started praying to the goddess Venus and he kept feeling this really strong desire for her to become a woman. And lo and behold, eventually the statue was brought to life. The, the goddess Venus brought the statue to life. There's a couple of interesting things about this myth, the myth behind the Pygmalion effect. And the first is that it simply it appears in Greek mythology. So this, this is, I don't know what, when they think this dates back to, but it must be hundreds, well, it must be thousands of years old. And so this shows us that this aspect of human psychology has been known about for a long, long time. This is nothing new. The Greeks were clearly aware that thought, belief, and desire are powerful entities. And so this myth is, was their way of describing that. And basically what I want you to see at the core of this myth is that although in real life we're never going to bring a statue to life, no matter how hard we try with our <laughs> thoughts and beliefs, what, it, what we can do is we can eventually bring about certain things in our personal life for good and for bad, simply by believing them, thinking about them, desiring them, or the opposite, fearing them. By our thoughts, beliefs, and actions can actually bring about the very things that we're imagining in our mind that seem so distant and unreal. And I'm not saying that we can do magical things, like we can't, you know, people talk about manifesting, we can manifest a million pounds you know, we're going to get a check through the post for a million pounds. That's not, that's all the rubbish. Uh, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the actions that we take on a daily basis. They're influenced by what we're thinking about and what we believe all the time. And then those very actions reinforce the beliefs we have. That's the core of the Pygmalion effect. And it's really practical and visible. It's not nothing magical about it when you look at what's going on behind it. Let's look at a simple example, because I want you to see that the Pygmalion effect is, is always operating in our lives. Let's take the example of finding a new partner. So I don't talk about dating very much, but I think this is an example we can all resonate with because we've probably all felt lonely and like we want to find someone. Um, let's say I've been without a girlfriend for a few years now. In my case, that's not true, but let's say it is. 
and I'm fed up of not having a girlfriend. I want to find one. But bef- but I also hold the belief that I'm inherently incapable of finding a girlfriend. Either I believe I'm unattractive or I can't chat up girls or uh, there are a lack of girls in my area that would be interested in me. There's nowhere to meet them, whatever. Any kind of belief that says, oh, I'm not going to meet a girl for this reason. Essentially, I believe that it's not possible for it to happen. Now, while this might not make it impossible, completely impossible, it does have some clear effects. For one thing, I'm going to feel less confident, meaning that I'll be more reserved and shy and awkward around girls. And it might even affect my posture and my way of talking, because I think I'm inherently unattractive. Of course, that's going to show in how I speak and how I act around girls. Of course it is. Also, by believing I'm unattractive, which is just one of many beliefs we might have for why we're not able to get a girl, you won't be attractive. You won't dress nicely. You won't put your hair right. You won't wear aftershave. You won't have that confident aura about you. The reason for this is because you don't believe you're attractive in the first place. So why would you bother dressing nicely, getting your hair right and all that? Why would you bother? You think you're unattractive, so... Anything that you do to remedy that isn't going to work. Also, you won't even try to meet girls. You won't even start talking to them. Even if you're in a place where there are girls in you, or a girl and you would like to uh, initiate a conversation, you're not going to do that because you believe it's not going to work. So why would you bother? And you might even avoid going to certain places because you might feel like a certain embarrassment You might feel like you're going to make a fool of yourself. You might feel like it's a waste of time. So what are you doing? You're not as confident. You're not as attractive because you're not going to look after yourself. And you're not going to go to places or when you're in places, try and speak to someone. Uh, And what happens? All of this destroys your chances of meeting someone. Which, lo and behold, all it does is reinforce your original belief. That's the Pygmalion effect. That's the self-fulfilling prophecy. The fact that you believe that you're inherently incapable of finding a woman, it makes it real because it affects how you act and then it affects how likely it is that you're actually going to meet one. It's a very simple, it's a really simple thing and we've seen this, you'll have seen it many times in your own life. But really when you extrapolate on it, you can see the power of it. What I want you to see is that your beliefs tend towards black and white scenarios. And this is sort of the this is why one of the reasons why the Pygmalion effect is powerful because we believe very black and white things like we believe I'm attractive or we believe I'm incapable of getting a girl or I'm incapable of, of learning this or I'm incapable of starting that business. In reality, you don't know. Like you actually don't know if you're capable or not. And these things aren't certain and they're not they're not like a, a light switch. You're not you're an, you're not just capable or incapable of anything, really. Um, it's it's really a function of many different things. But your beliefs go very black and white. And that's one of the reasons why you can really do a lot of damage with, this, with your self-fulfilling prophecies. For example, just to take this example of women. Sure, you might not be attractive to all women on the planet. So you're not just 100% attractive. In other words... Not 100% of women are attracted to you. Fine. 
probably that's not the case for any man on the, the whole planet. But I'm sure that for all of us, there's thousands or even millions of girls that would be attracted to us. So you are attractive in some way. You're not 100% attractive, not 100% not attractive to all women, but neither are you zero. You're somewhere in between, probably like all men. Beauty and taste are almost somewhat subjective. So you might not have a chance with any girl out there, but I'm sure there are many girls you can attract. And I'm just saying, this is just an example, remember, but it shows you that your mind creates this very black and white idea. And this, this black and white idea affects your actions big time. And even if you can see that it's a bit gray, that it's not one or the other, that'll stop you getting in your way so much. So let's just talk about a little bit about the power of this. As I said, when you really, this is the example of the relationships or the finding a girl is kind of an innocent example in a way. Well, depends. It depends how much suffering it's causing you. But this is a really remarkable thing that we have self-fulfilling prophecies. Your thoughts and your interpretations of life alter how you act, which in turn makes those same thoughts and interpretations real. So what this is basically saying is that your thoughts and interpretations are extremely powerful. And this is not just happening in relationships, it's happening in all aspects of your personal life. In fact, it's happening every single day if you pay enough attention. What I want you to realize is that you actually possess like frightening power with your mind. You can equally harm yourself with the Pygmalion effect or you can empower yourself and it all starts with what you think. And just, just knowing that this thing is real, knowing that the Pygmalion effect exists, knowing that self-fulfilling prophecies exist in many areas of life, it helps you be more aware of how your mind shaping your life, how your mind shapes your life. Your personal life is never certain or definite and your mind will often go into absolute testing mode and tell you things that simply aren't true really and from that basis that's when you start acting. What's actually behind the Pygmalion effect? So why does it work? And I've got a few, I've got four ideas as to why the Pygmalion effects work and together I think they explain quite well why it, why it happens. The first insight is that your mind is a reality generator your imagine contains anything that you can possibly imagine, literally anything. It can imagine you as a as another animal. It can imagine you as a rich person living in a mansion. It can imagine you as an amazing, I don't know, an amazing skier, whatever. It can imagine you doing anything. And it can imagine, well, it's not just about you, but we're talking about our personal lives here. So that's one thing. Another insight is that we can plan and remember. And of course, that's quite an obvious thing. But when you realize that actually planning is a prelude to the future, there's not many things we do without thinking about them beforehand. Let's say I'm going to cook a meal tonight, assuming it's a well-planned meal. <laughs> I think about the meal in advance and I'm already sort of picturing how I'm going to be cooking it way before I do and I'm thinking about the ingredients, I'm thinking about where I've got the ingredients. That's all happening in my imagination well before the meal is ever going to come about. And the same thing happens with anything. 
at the weekend when you're making plans for the weekend it's all going on in your mind the weekend doesn't even exist as a reality yet in the in the real world so to speak but in your mind it's already there so keep in mind that your 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 imagination is really a prelude to the future and if you want to see what the future will look like look at your imagination and you'll get some good clues there Insight three is that the mind never stops. The mind is continually imagining things. It's just how the mind works. They've even called it the monkey mind, or in fact, the scientists have come up with a name for the brain network associated with this tendency of ours. It's called the default mode network. Basically saying that our default mode, or the default mode of the brain is to be thinking. Um, so, it's con we're constantly imagining things. Our imagination is constantly working. And as we know, it's, that's, that's shaping our lives in every single moment. I also should say at this point that the mind tends towards unpleasant or undesirable things. It's not imagining the best version of ourselves or our, our ideals or what will happen if this business works out or whatever. It's imagining the exact opposite of that. Insight four is that we live from the mind. So although we have this body and we have the sensation of our body, as humans, we tend to experience reality and act, act as a human being through the mind and from the mind, not through the body or through direct experience. It's sort of like we're, we're half, uh, it's sort of like we're half awake in each moment. Most of the time we're, we're not living life, we're living the mind and we're living life through the mind as well. Basic consequence of that is that the mind greatly influences everything that we do in every moment, even down to the most simple activities. For example, when you're doing the dishes, if, if you're either thinking about doing the dishes or you're thinking about something else, then you're not really doing the dishes. You're doing the dishes your hands are doing the dishes, but you're not consciously participating in it. In other words, you're more thinking than doing at that point. And that's that's what I say when we I say we live from the mind. We're not actually really living moment to moment a lot of the time. If we combine those four insights, the fact that our, we can imagine anything we want, we can plan and remember, and that planning is really the start of everything that happens to us the mind never stops and that we live from the mind, we can see the power of the, that the mind has, but we can also see why self-fulfilling prophecies come around. Because really, the imagine, what we're imagining, uh, I'm not saying it always happens. As I said, if we're imagining ourselves as a bird, doesn't mean we're actually going to become a bird. But most of the time, we're imagining our personal lives in a certain way and given those four insights, it's not surprising that it comes around. So the big question now is, well, if the Pygmalion effect and the self-fulfilling prophecy is so important, how do we get this working for us? I've sort of talked about it in the negative a lot because, well, self-fulfilling prophecy has kind of a negative association with it. And also because those are the most destructive things. But on the other hand, we can get it working for us by putting our imagination to good use and to, to using it responsibly. I guess the first thing I would say is 
to spot the Pygmalion effect at work. And to do this, try and see your life as this giant self-fulfilling prophecy. It's And it when you see it from a certain perspective, you can see it in that way. You can see that most, if not all of the things in your personal life, you imagined them at some point in some, even in some like embryo stage, you imagined them. And now eventually after months, years, decades of action, you bring them around. That's the Pygmalion effect. And that's sort of on a long-term scale, but it works on a short-term scale as well. Notice how the way you think about things really does not only influence what happens, but it, it, it conditions your life to revolve or to fit what's going on in your imagination and in your mind. Another key component of this is to be aware of internal and external locus of control. Without going into too much depth, there's a concept in psychology which is internal and external locus of control. And those with an internal locus of control are inner directed and they tend to take responsibility for everything that happens to them. The external, the person with the external locus is really the opposite. They tend to attribute the events in their life to things outside themselves, to other people, to the economy, to uh, to their boss, whatever. The key is to, I think, gain enough internal control that you can actually gain control over the self-fulfilling prophecy and the the Pygmalion effects that you're setting off in your life. So when you can control a situation, which is in most of our personal life, we can control the situation, at least to some degree, be very careful that you're not bringing about undesirable self-fulfilling prophecies. And we do that by spotting the Pygmalion effect at work. And even when you can't control something, like you can't control the fact that you are a human being, you can't control the fact that the economy exists and it's beyond any of our individual control. You also can't control the direction of gravity, for example. These are things that you simply can't control as a human being. You can still control your response to them. If there's a bad economy, you can still control your response to if you come across financial difficulties in that time. How do you respond to that? That you can control. and But if you're constantly imagining negative futures and thinking, oh, I've got, I can't do anything about this. I'm, I'm a puppet to the economy and I've got, I'm a failure and I'm never going to get out of this situation. It's likely that's what's going to happen to you. The third one is to really observe your mind. So as we said, the mind tends towards destructive thinking and if you've never seen this before, you really need to see it to believe it. <laughs> um, and when you notice that, and if you pay attention, you'll notice it quite a lot throughout the day. Just realize what it's doing. And then in that moment, replace the thinking with inspiring positive images related to the same situation, but in in a different way. So if you're imagining a friendship, for example, and all you're imagining is all the negative stuff that's going on, like the disagreements you've had and the things you don't like about that person, replace it with the exact opposite. And you'll see that those, <laughs> your friendship will will move around how you're imagining it, at least in part. Obviously, the other person's there as well. But that's, observe your mind and replace what's going on if it's 
unpleasant with some more pleasant stuff. The final one is to imagine with playful seriousness and serious playfulness. So literally you can dedicate time to imagining. You can literally just sit down and imagine what you want, um, what you want your business to look like, what you want, what levels you want to reach in your pursuit, for example. Playful seriousness and serious playfulness, I got this from Eric Erickson, I think, who was a developmental psychologist. And it's taken out of context here, but I like the phrase and I think it's really applicable to this Pygmalion effect. On one hand, your mind is so powerful that you really want to take this very seriously and we often don't take it seriously. Often, we're just wandering around imagining all kinds of horrible things that are going to happen to us. So take it seriously and give it the respect it deserves. But also at the same time, you need to be playful. In a certain sense, you can see this, this imagination that you have, that you can imagine anything possible. Not just things that are actually possible in the real world. Anything. See it as like a sandbox, as like a, a, a blank canvas that you can imagine any possible reality. So instead of imagining yourself being a failure, imagining, imagine yourself killing it in whatever way that you, you want to kill it in life. And go just go crazy with that a bit. Get playful. Uh, imagine things that you usually wouldn't permit yourself to, to imagine. And sure, it might not happen in the next year, but with sustained effort, it might... Who knows? That's, that's the thing about the imagination. It's slowly what you constantly imagine affects how you act and affects also affects how you think about yourself. So experiment with it and see what you can imagine and see the effects that that has on your life. You might be pleasantly surprised. So this video is really comes from the accompanying article that I've got on the website. So I've left a link to that below if you want to go into loads of depth, loads of depth with this effect. And I hope that you can see the power of the Pygmalion effect in your life and that you start consciously imagining, not unconsciously imagining and creating undesirable outcomes with your imagination. Thanks a lot for watching.